Obama Biden engaged in foreign election interference through the State Department by funneling U.S. taxpayer dollars to organizations trying to defeat Prime Minister Netanyahu. And then the administration misled Congress about it. You're listening to Code Red with Secure America Now, the largest national security grassroots army. Hi, my name is Alan Roth, president of Secure America Now. Welcome to the Code Red podcast. Our guest today is Julie Strauss-Levin, an attorney who has held senior positions in the profit and nonprofit world. It was while I was applauding the momentous movement to peace between Israel and its Muslim neighbors, I came across your town hall column, Julie, entitled, Biden is no friend of Israel, he's an adversary. Julie, your column begins with, let's take a walk down memory lane and reminds us of the Obama-Biden policies regarding Israel. Can you take us for that tour and explain to us why you've come to this conclusion that Biden is actually an adversary and not a friend of Israel? I'd be happy to do so. And first, let me say thank you very much for having me on. Uh, it's really an honor. You do very, very important work, Alan, so I really appreciate it. Thank so, you. yeah, I think when we walk down memory lane, uh, as I said in my article, I think let's even take take it back a step earlier, pre-Obama being president. As everybody knows, I'm stating the obvious, that it was the Obama-Biden administration. But before he became president, Obama was a completely different person than the minute he became president. And what do I mean by that? Obama spoke at APAC in 2008. And at APAC, he made statements that any level-headed person, Jew or not, would think, here is a man who wants to be and advocates for a very close relationship between the United States and Israel. He, uses, he used words such as uh, the United States must fully recognize that Jerusalem is the capital of Israel, and it must remain the undivided capital of Israel. He said that Israel's security is, quote, sacrosanct. He also talked about recognizing Israel's, quote, defensible borders, close quote. So again, very logical. Everyone would think here is a moderate candidate and take it away. So then what happens? He becomes president. And I'm going to just refer to it as Obama Biden, because as everyone knows, Biden is, was the vice president for eight years. And in my opinion, Biden owns whatever happened during that administration. No sooner did Biden come into office that very early on in his administration, he had a phone conference with some prominent American Jewish leaders. And during that phone conversation, he talked about and referred to the relationship between the United States and Israel as having a, quote, serious problem. 
And he said it was a serious problem because there was not any daylight between the United States and Israel. That's really, really important. He literally was saying that the United States and Israel did need to have space, did need to have daylight between the two countries, and that if Israel really wanted to have peace in the Middle East, that Israel must engage in, quote, self-reflection about its commitment to peace. So that's, that's how the, the uh, horse left the barn, so to speak. From then on, Obama really showed his true colors, which had nothing to do with what he said at APAC. Quite to the contrary, every single thing he said at APAC turned out to be inaccurate, is a nice way of putting it. As you may recall, early on in his administration, he met with the Muslim Brotherhood. And from there, he, he continued on. He said that Israel must stop. It's, and, and I'm sort of going through, trying to go sort of historically, right, from 2009 on. A, a bit of an overview, but this, I think, will, will convey the gist. He said that Israel had to stop and freeze its settlement on lands, and he referred to them, he said, the stopping has to end the occupation. So he referred to Israel having settlements in its ancestral homeland as being occupation. And all the while, as Obama became increasingly hostile, I would say, in my opinion, toward Israel, he did very little in terms of any similar kind of rhetoric or conversation with the Palestinians. So for the Palestinians, he was fairly quiet. For the Israelis, he lost not one moment in chiding Israel on its activities. And he made good over his eight years to create massive daylight between the two countries. One of the points that you make is mm -hmm. that Obama continued to fund the Palestinian Authority, even though they were using American taxpayer dollars to support terrorists and their families. And which is a way of, from my perspective, of rewarding unacceptable behavior. Can you- You're right, yeah. And can you, within the context, and I think your introduction is extremely important to put things in context of the change that did occur. It seems like from what you said and what you wrote that the state of Israel was being held responsible for the misbehavior of the Palestinians, not just for their own behavior. That's a perfect segue to what I was going to say, and you're 100% accurate. I, I, let me digress one minute and, sure. and tell you that, again, very early on in his administration, Obama gave a speech. And during that speech, he said two sentences that were extremely telling on his psyche, both with respect to Israel and its viability as a country and how we felt about the Palestinians. And here's what he said. Quote, the aspiration for a Jewish homeland is rooted in a tragic history that cannot be denied, 
On the other hand, it is also undeniable that the Palestinian people have suffered. So let's, let's, let's take a look. Let's examine those words. A lot of people like to use the expression unpack, so I'll sort of go, go along with that one. President Barack Obama literally said that the, the basis, the raison d'etre for the, for the state of Israel as a Jewish homeland is due to the Holocaust. The man literally ignored thousands of years of ties of the Jewish people to their ancestral homeland. Basically took the Torah and threw it out the window, in my opinion. Then he goes on to empathize with the Palestinians and equate what the Jews went through with their, quote, tragic history to the, quote, suffering of the Palestinian people. That is astonishing that an American president would say something like that. And by doing so, he signaled to the state of Israel, to its leader, Benjamin Netanyahu, who, if you want to go into, we can talk about how Obama was so disrespectful to, it, to the head of, of another state, namely Benjamin Netanyahu. But it also signaled to the Palestinians, hey, we got your back. This, this Israel thing, you know, really, it, 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 it's basically born from the Holocaust. You suffered. Now, we're going to make sure, by the way we treat you, that that's not going to happen under an Obama administration. That's huge. And Obama put his words into reality he sure did implementing policies that backed up those words he did 100 percent. and and just you know I, I i mentioned how he how obama treated bb let me let bb netanyahu prime minister netanyahu there was a time when when prime minister netanyahu came to the united states to see to, to meet with the president and up until that time, the Obama-Biden administration had already been putting way into place its anti-Israel, not only rhetoric, but treatment of Israel. And again, Biden owns Obama's actions because he was part of that administration. So when Netanyahu, it was very easy to see the handwriting on the wall. It was, you know, spray painted, you know, in the skies. They were the Obama-Biden administration was so clear in its anti-Israel positioning that Netanyahu was put in a position where he himself said, "Okay, we're going to freeze settlements for ten months as a as a goodwill gesture, hoping the United States would 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 do something vis-a-vis the Palestinians to try to." bring forth some conversation. Obama did nothing during that time period. Thereafter, when, when Prime Minister Netanyahu came to the United States, Obama, instead of having all, all the, the typical um, pomp and circumstance of a state dinner and a state ceremony, President Obama had Prime Minister Netanyahu come to the White House to recite door. Obama left the prime minister, to eat non-kosher food while Obama went upstairs and ate with his family. And thereafter, later, when Abbas came to visit the White House, 
Obama announced publicly a $70 million increase, not $70 million, but a $70 million increase in aid to the Palestinians. So you're right. What Obama Biden did for eight years was nothing short of atrocious. So again, pressured Israel to suspend settlements and referred to any settlements as occupations handed millions of dollars to the Palestinian Authority, knowing that the PA had blood on its hands through terrorists that killed Americans and Israelis. Obama-Biden pressured Israel to release terrorists from jail. And despite what Obama said in 2008 about his undivided capital, what did he do? Obama-Biden advocated that Israel, that Jerusalem should be divided. I'm happy to talk about Iran, but <laughs> I don't want to get yeah, ahead of myself. As a matter of fact, I was going to raise Iran, and I'm going to raise it in the context that on the on Netanyahu's first trip during the Obama administration to the United States, it so happens that I had a private meeting with him the night before he meets with President Obama. And I will tell you that at that meeting, Netanyahu's primary concern was the growing threat of Iran. And I know that during their first meeting, Netanyahu directly raised the specter of a very dangerous increase in power coming to the Iranians, which threatened both Israel and the United States. So in your, in your column that we are discussing the guts of it, uh, you talk about how Obama's Iran policy, which Biden is uh, wants to recreate um, is in fact one of the reasons why you come to the conclusion that Joe Biden is actually an adversary of Israel. So can you explain to our audience what the Obama policy was and why it wasn't good for the United States and Israel? So. We, we hear people hear, oh, the Iran deal, the Iran deal. President Obama spearheaded this deal with the largest sponsor of state terrorism in the entire world. So Iran has blood on its hands of Americans and Israelis and many others. And what did Obama do? That Biden not only was complicit in back then, but has said he wants to rejoin the Iran deal. The Iran deal gives Iran a pathway to nuclear weapons. It is, and I, and I said this in the article, it, it defies any, any rationality, any credulity to literally hand over to the enemy not only a pathway to nuclear weapons, but billions of united, everybody on this, on this podcast needs to understand billions 
of our taxpaying dollars, 1.8 of which was sent to Iran in the cold of night in cash. I mean, it's, you can't even imagine, like if you closed your eyes, you couldn't even imagine $1.8 billion on pallets. That's literally what happened. That went to Iran for what? For them to chant death to America, death to Israel, which they did during the entire Obama administration. Joe Biden heard it clearly. Barack Obama heard it clearly. They are still doing it. It gives Iran a pathway to nuclear weapons, as I said before. And this is what Joe Biden wants to join up with and do again. Can I just can I just interject here? Yes, it gives Iran a pathway, as Netanyahu has said, it gives them a legal pathway to attain Correct. to to attain nuclear weapons. And um and a nuclear Iran, as you've just said, is a great threat both to America and to Israel. In your in your column, you talk about Iran and the clarion call that we have heard over and over again coming from Iran, debt to Israel, debt to America. And how can a Joe Biden, and I, I know that <laughs> I, I'm asking you a question that, uh, that you probably can't answer, that nobody can answer except for Biden. How can Biden want to recommit America to uh, giving Iran a legal pathway to nuclear weapons. I just can't think of a rational reason why you would have that policy. And you're right, there is none. And not only does it give a legal path, but it blesses it. And this is, again, this is, this is the, the psyche, if you will, of Obama-Biden. Actions speak louder than words. So when you completely trash the state of Israel on the one hand and are quite silent to the behavior of the Palestinians, actions speak louder than words. When you bless, because it's, it's not just giving them a legal pathway, and I think the word legal is an important addition, thank you, but it's not just giving, it's blessing it. It's mm-hmm. saying we're good with this. So you're you're right. It's it's it is so outrageous. One one can't think of any reasonable basis for this. And remember, Iran does not only say death to America, death to Israel, but Israel's the little Satan. The United States of America is the big Satan. Yep. yep. Says Iran. So it makes no sense whatsoever. And again, also remember that it was the Obama-Biden administration that refused to oppose the BDS movement. BDS, boycott, divest, and sanction. We know that the goal of this movement, which unfortunately, by Obama-Biden being silent about it, in my opinion, has made it, rendered it, and a policy that universities are now, uh, several universities are, are like Columbia's voting on whether they should divest from any investments and whatever from Israel. So when you've got an administration for eight years that pounded very overtly and also very behind the scenes, 
against the one and only Jewish state, it it becomes an, a mainstream sort of okay thing to do. So by Obama, Biden refusing to oppose the BDS movement, it was complicit in sanctioning it. I mean, look, even and I and I and I cite her. Even the Washington Post, Jennifer Rubin, who is not not only not a friend uh, of the Republicans, but you know, quite the opposite. Even she said she she titled her article "Obama winks at BDS." You know, so sometimes, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, just to add uh, to to the point that you're making here. Um, Obama Biden legitimized BDS as a legitimate movement by not opposing it. And and as you said, there are universities, there are countries, there are organizations that are boycotting Israel because of this. But even, even in a sense more so is that you have the BDS movement. Israel, everyone in the world will agree with this statement. Israel has some of the greatest scientific talent in the world. And Israeli experts in technology and medicine and in a variety of of disciplines have been uh, banned from joining international conferences where they were willing and anxious to share their knowledge. And BDS is the foundation of this uh, movement to ban Israel interacting on all levels with the rest of the civilized world. That's correct. And what is that? That's anti-Semitism 101. Right yeah. there, it is, right. and, and and it's and and it's extremely um, it's a, it's extremely troubling. Um, in your column, and I, I mentioned to you before uh, before we went live here that I didn't realize how far the Obama administration went just in its personal contact with the state of Israel. Can you recount? what occurred at the United Nations, an event that was orchestrated by the Obama-Biden team? So, and this was as Obama was out the door, pretty much. This was December 2016, lame duck with a capital L. There was not one stone that this president, this Obama-Biden administration left unturned vis-a-vis its disdain for Israel. And so what did it do in December 2016? It was complicit in orchestrating the United Nations Resolution 2334. And that resolution falsely claimed that the old city of Jerusalem was illegal and occupied Palestinian territory. What the Obama administration did that was so egregious that you're referring to, and I, as you said, I mentioned it in the article, when, when Nikki Haley came to the United Nations, representing the United States as UN ambassador, she learned that the following, what I'm about to recount, happened. And I've heard her personally tell this story, and when she does, she said, look, it never ceases to, to, to anger her 
when she, from the first time she heard the story. And here's what happened. The United States was not only intent on this resolution, but they, but the United States was intent on humiliating Israel through Israel's UN ambassador, Danny Dinam. So when the vote happened and all the members of the Security Council were sitting together at the table, once the vote happened and 2334 passed, all of the members of the Security Council, other than obviously Ambassador Danone, stood up and gave a standing ovation applauding the passage of this resolution while Ambassador Danone sat there. The humiliation that the United States orchestrated at the UN to Danny Danone was so shocking. And when Ambassador Haley heard this, she said, and I quote, what really broke my heart was how much the Obama administration contributed to the humiliation of Israel's ambassador to the United Nations. You know, it is a chilling story. And um, it, it also reminds me of a point that you made earlier about the chilly reception that Prime Minister Netanyahu, who was duly elected by the voters in the state of Israel, of when he accepted an invitation to speak before a joint session of the House and Senate. And, um, and the topic was, frankly, the threat of Iran. And uh, I happened to be in Israel with Netanyahu at the time that the invitation came. He accepted it immediately. It came from then Speaker Bonner. And mm -hmm. he, he knew that there would be a lot of pushback to him coming to Washington, D.C. to basically disagree with the Obama administration Iranian policy. But it was just oh, not to know myself in his house. And I asked him, I said, you know, why are you going to do this? And I'll never forget his comment. His comment was, if I have an invitation to share with the Congress of the United States of America, as well as the American people, the dangers of Iran, I am going to go. And he, his decision to go unleashed the fury behind the scenes of the Obama administration, including boycotts uh, among, led by the Black Caucus in the, in the House, um, boycotting uh, the Prime Minister of Israel's speech. And um, it, it was kind of unprecedented how far this administration went at all levels. I agree with you. And if you recall, in 2011, when Prime Minister Netanyahu was on his way to the United States, so this is what he was greeted with. He was greeted with Obama saying in a speech that Israel 
should return to its 1967 lines and engage in land swap. Yep. So this happens when, 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 a, when the prime minister is in the air. And then that was 2011. So, and then in 2015, it was the Obama-Biden administration that engaged in foreign election interference. So, you know, they, they're, they're such sanctimonious attitude about Russia and here. Obama-Biden engaged in foreign election interference through the State Department by funneling U.S. taxpayer dollars to organizations trying to defeat Prime Minister Netanyahu. And then the administration misled Congress about it. And that organization was called One Voice. This is the length to which the Obama-Biden administration not only sought to alienate Israel and to ostracize Israel, but to personally go after Netanyahu. I, I know I was involved in a bunch of things that were related specifically to this last point about um, interceding um, in the Israeli elections, but I would like to um, have you spend a few minutes talking about your views in a sense, it's contrasting with the Obama-Biden views towards Israel as to uh, the Trump administration's policies and attitude towards the state of Israel. What are your views of Trump administration's um, Israeli policies? So if we use the, the daylight analogy, as we started off with, with Obama, who wanted not only daylight, but he wanted months and years of bright sunshine separating the two countries. President Trump, Vice President Pence, the entire administration has a complete opposite view. Our president recognizes that there should not be daylight between our two countries, that it is so important for not just Israel, but for the United States for our relationship and really for peace in the world, if not only in the Middle East, that there should not be any daylight, that the two countries must stand together unequivocally. And we see in President Trump's actions that not only does he and did he talk the talk, but he walked the walk, as he likes to say, promises made, promises kept. Right. He walked the walk, not just the talk. What did he do? I mean, we can, I'm happy to go through and highlight these. Yeah. Everybody knows that Please. he very early on, remember there was the, the 1995 um, Jerusalem Act that called for the recognition that, that Israel's capital is Jerusalem. That wasn't called into question. That was a fact in the law. It only became a matter of when would, when would a United States president move the embassy and formally, formally recognize the reality of Jerusalem being the capital of Israel by moving its embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. And there was a provision in the law that allowed a president, I believe it's every six months, to issue a waiver saying, you know, we're going to hold off now because of current events around the world. This may not be the right time. So every president from 19 after the law was passed exercised that waiver. When President Trump was candidate Trump, he made a promise. 
he basically said, Jerusalem is the capital of the state of Israel, and when I'm president, I'm going to recognize it as such, and I'm going to move the embassy to Jerusalem. And he, he did so, as we all know, and he also has said very publicly that one of the decisions that has been met with the most resistance when he first became president was, oh, you can't move the, you can't move the embassy. It's going to cause World War III. It's going to on and on and on. And because our president keeps his word and because he recognized the reality that this is a sovereign country, this is their capital, why would I not recognize what is? And why would I not move our embassy to the capital city as is done in every other country in the world? And so that's what he did despite pressure from around the world. So he recognized Jerusalem as the undivided capital of the Jewish state of Israel. And then he moved the embassy and he did so all of this very quickly. I mean, it was late 2017 and then 2018 was when the embassy started, you know, the, the, the moving and the, there was a, the ceremony was in, was in the summer of 2018, but no stone was left unturned by this man very quickly. The Trump administration recognizes Israel's sovereignty over the Golan not much later. And one of the most important acts of the Trump administration was to shred the Iran deal literally ripped it up and now even as recently as this past weekend the united states imposed snapback sanctions because iran has been acting as as iran always acts and so the united states not only ripped up the deal and walked away from it but the united states has been putting tremendous pressure on iran from an economic perspective this is exactly the what needs to happen when you are dealing with a country that wants you dead and annihilated. I don't know how else, I mean, it's their own words, right? Death to America. And not only that, what else did the Trump administration do? It defended Israel at the UN by leaving the UN Human Rights Council that continuously has abused Israel over time. It has defended Israel at the, at the International Criminal Court. And it's cut off funds to the PA. We had Obama, who was just handing out money to the PA like it was candy. And the Trump administration says, we're not doing that. And, and in addition to that, it signed the Taylor Force Act, cutting off these funds to Palestinian terrorists. And, and not only that, but yep. back to the settlements, because this was such a such a bugaboo, if you will, with for Obama, and he hung his hat on, on how terrible settlements were and, you know, said Israel's not serious about peace if they have settlements. But the Trump administration made clear that settlements are not illegal. I think that the Trump administration's clear policy of rewarding good behavior and its policies towards Israel has is a primary reason why it was able to bring Muslim countries 
together with Israel in recognition, which I think if you could just comment on the UAE and now the Bahrain, uh, let's say reconciliation with Israel um, and the role that the Trump administration played in that. So that is a superb point. And again, under the walk the walk, the Trump administration took a very fresh look when it approached this concept of can we bring about Middle East peace? And it, was, it approached it in a very creative way under the very common sense approach. And I think President Trump approaches many issues from a common sense perspective. And he saw that what's been happening over many, many years, appeasing the Palestinians, looking to the Israelis to be the good guys, that everything is, is Israel's fault, and it's the poor Palestinians was not the way to go. And so in January, with, with the peace plan that came out that has several conditions, the most basic of which, if you want peace, Palestinians, you've got to recognize that Israel is here, it's here to stay, and you have to recognize it as a Jewish state. And you have to give up your terrorist activity. When you do that, we can all talk about Israel giving up certain areas in Judea and Samaria. So that peace plan, which is, which is there, and the Palestinians, we know how they rejected it. The other thing, though, that the United States did, which is what you're talking about with respect to the Abraham Accords, is the United States said, we're going to apply this thinking to, to, the other, to the Arab countries. For so many years, these, other, these Arab countries have basically let the Palestinian issue guide how they interacted with Israel. And the one silver lining, if you will, in my opinion, of the Iran deal is it awakened the eyes of the Arab countries who who understand the danger and hostility of Iran in their backyard, they have they decided that, you know what? We have a friend in Israel. We have an enemy in Iran. So what this peace deal does is it brings together these countries, these predominantly Muslim countries, to the table with Israel to try to achieve a peace in that neighborhood that could never have happened under the Obama-Biden administration because Obama-Biden fomented and gave rise to this continued hostility by promoting Iran and hating Israel and by promoting the Palestinians. Like every single thing that, that Obama did was wrong. And every single thing that the Trump administration has done to promote peace has been not only common sense, but has been correct because we see the results. And what's very telling is this, this isn't just a, a, a deal, if you will, between governments that the governments are happy with, but you already see that the people of these countries, the citizens of these countries support this deal. And that's what's going to make it everlasting, Alan, because you already see that there's economic outreach there's technological outreach, there's medical outreach, there's all this conversation that's happening right now 
between not just the governments, but the peoples of these countries. And that's going to make a big difference. And as President Trump so smartly said, hey, the Palestinians can sit back and keep their hatred going, or they can come join this table of peace at some point. Because the whole, all of the Middle East, he's hoping, and it seems to be, that other Arab countries are going to come to the peace table. So at some point, you know, you're the only one left out from at the birthday party, so to speak, when you're the child and everybody else goes and they're getting along and you're sitting there. Right. Palestinians have a choice. They're either left behind and, and really, really isolated. Funny how the tables have turned, right? Because this is what Obama tried, did to Israel, isolate Israel, keep Israel apart, you know, antagonize Israel. And now... It's complete opposite. Now it's a situation where we say, hey, through the leadership of President Trump, because Prime Minister Netanyahu has said this many, many times, it is through the leadership of this administration that Israel and the Middle East looks like in an entirely different neighborhood. And this yep. is this is four years. I mean, this is shocking. I think sometimes, you know, we turn on the news and we see this, this kind of huge history that was made last Tuesday, and either you watch CNN, in which case it's not covered at all, and it's terrible and how horrible Israel is, or, you know, you sort of get used to this, but what the Trump administration achieved cannot be overemphasized in the name of peace. It is so historic that President Trump was able to bring together these countries government-wise and at the citizen level, so supportive that this may be what the Palestinians really need in order to, to get with the 21st century. You know, Julie, um, one, I want to thank you for sharing your very informative points of view. I also... Um, want to say that not surprisingly i agree with you i am constantly amazed that despite unending attacks personal attacks on president trump by the fake news media and uh and other sources that he has been able to accomplish so many great things and the most recent deal with between Israel and some of its Arab neighbors is, as you said, momentous. And it is really incredible. Julie, I want to, again, thank you for spending time. You are an extremely yeah. articulate spokes, spokeswoman and analyst uh, of, of the Middle East. And it has been a pleasure. I invite you on at any time you want to come. And I urge Thank you people yeah. to go to townhall.com, which we will market along with the podcast. We, uh, we will include a link. Um, go to townhall.com and uh, her column, Biden is no friend of Israel. He's an adversary is there. And uh, Julie, I want to wish I'd you like a happy and healthy new year. Thank you. I'd like to just leave you with, with a couple points. Sure. And that yes. is this. If we look at the Biden administration uh, to be, if, if he were to win, 
here's what we're going to see. We're going to see a return to the Iran deal. We're going to see a, a breaking off of the sanctions. We're going to see a restoration of assistance to the Palestinians. We're going to see a restoration of funding to UNRWA, the United Nations uh, Relief and Works uh, Agency, which yep. perpetuates the Palestinian refugee crisis, which, again, indoctrinates young Palestinians that there's either no Israel or Israel is a very, very bad place and the United States isn't much better. And many other acts that are not only anti-Israel, but are anti the United States. And you're going to see that daylight, that theme of let's get daylight back in town. One last point under the, 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 um, the adage of you are the company you keep. Candidate Biden has surrounded himself with blatant anti-Semitists. And it saddens me to say that the Democrat Party today, in my opinion, is the party of anti-Semites. And I say that because we have members of Congress who are outward anti-Semitic in their rhetoric and in their behavior. And you have a Speaker of the House that has refused and did refuse to condemn them. You had a Democrat convention where there were no less, Alan, than six supporters of the anti-Semitic champion. And I put that as, you know, very sarcastically, Louis Farrakhan. Yep. He has called Jews termites. And there were speakers at the DNC who are within his orbit. You had Linda Sassor, who is a blatant anti-Semite. And what happened was because there was some pushback that when she spoke at the convention, the Biden campaign tried to distance itself. It did a little bit of a PR shuffle that the media most happily uh, was complicit with. And then what did the uh, what did the Biden uh, campaign do? They did a you know a behind the scenes pandering to the you know through campaign ads, sort of apologizing for yep. uh, for uh, publicly saying something against her. So this is. This is a party that is anti-Semitic in its actions. And there are many Jews, I'm very sad to say, there are many Jews, believe it or not, who don't even have an Israel in their orbit, which is shocking to you and me, but they need to understand that this party, this Democrat party, is a party of anti-Semitism. And this affects them and their children and it's something they really need to seriously look at. I agree. And, uh, and again, I, it, is, it is kind of amazing that even people who care about Israel, I'm talking about some Jewish Democrats, continue perpetuating a fiction that the Democratic majority is pro-Israel. And unfortunately, that has changed over the years. And hopefully, there will be more Jewish voters who um, make the Democrats pay a price for, as you pointed out, overt anti-Semitism perpetuated by the Biden campaign. And um, it's... Uh, 
we'll see very soon. And uh, once again, Julie, thank you for coming. Thank you for sharing your points of view. They've been great, very informative. And I look forward to having you as a guest sometime in the future. I would very much enjoy that. And I thank you very, very much. Shana Tova. Shana Tova. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Code Red Podcast. Be sure to click subscribe to stay up to date and be the first to hear about our future podcast. You can also find and subscribe to the Code Red Podcast on Podbean, Spotify, Google Play, and YouTube.